The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 5th, 2021, on the basis of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. By my count, the number is five. Five separate times recorded for us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are told that Jesus' disciple Peter did something a little bit impetuous or maybe downright boneheaded or stuck his foot in his mouth a little bit and as a result needed to be rebuked by Jesus and ended up looking foolish in front of the rest of the disciples. Five times we're told that happened. Five times at least that we know about. And yet I'm pretty sure that there would not have been a sixth if Peter had not done what we hear him do in these verses. In spite of all of those setbacks, recently Peter's star had been on the rise. In fact, just prior to these verses in Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us about what happened on the day known as Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when Jesus kept his promise to send the Holy Spirit, there were 3,000 people who were baptized as Christians. And it was the sermon that Peter had preached that sparked that explosive growth. All of the sudden, seemingly overnight, Peter found himself to be a pretty important and pretty busy guy. And so I don't think anyone would have blamed him. I don't think anyone would have found any fault if when he walked into the temple that day and saw there at the entrance to the temple that man who had been crippled from the time he was born begging for help, I don't think it would have been one more embarrassing gaffe for Peter if he had just sort of looked the other way and walked right on by. I've shared with you before an observation that other people have made that in our information-saturated world and in our hyper-connected world, all of us are a lot more aware of and it's easy for all of us to feel a lot more responsible for all of the world's biggest problems. I remember when I was a kid, maybe what you remember as well, that Smokey the Bear would often tell us, only you can prevent forest fires. Fair enough, I suppose. It seems these days much bigger things are being put on our plate. We're given the impression only you can save the planet. Only you can stop the spread of COVID. Only you can bring an end to all of the world's hunger, all of the world's hatred, all of the the oppression and injustice and violence that might be going on anywhere in the world at any moment. Only you can stop it. And the more we feel responsible for the world's biggest problems, the more we will come to value, in fact, place a very high priority on this thing that we are talking about today, this thing that we call efficiency. As Vicar mentioned at the beginning of the service, efficiency can be defined as producing the maximum amount of results while expending the minimum amount of waste. In other words, if we are going to be efficient people, then we need to constantly be doing some very important math. We need to constantly be calculating in our minds how much attention, how much time, how much of our resources a certain thing is going to require of us, and along with it, how many people 
it is going to impact and how much of an impact it is going to have. Those calculations, that math, will determine whether we are efficient people or not. And yet that's what makes what Peter did in these verses so very interesting. Again, Peter, who had just very recently found himself to be quite a big deal in Jerusalem, decided to stop to help just one man. Not 100, not 20 or even two, but just one. And he decided to help this man not by giving him just a a very small fraction of his attention or his time or his resources, but instead to give this man everything that he had in that moment to give. This is a story of one man giving his whole self to help out just one man. It sure seems as though it isn't very efficient. And yet that's why these are exactly the verses we need to help reset our assumptions about efficiency. These verses are going to take those calculations that we normally do to determine whether or not something is efficient and they are going to prove them to be incorrect. As we look at these verses from Acts chapter 3 this morning, we're going to see that when Jesus is involved, one plus one never equals just two. Again, I don't think anybody would have blamed Peter if he had just looked the other way and walked right on by. The math just didn't add up. Consider again that number 3,000. 3,000 brand new Christians on the day of Pentecost, but that also meant 3,000 people that Peter was now the pastor of. That's a pretty big congregation to take care of. Or maybe the number on his mind would have been 365 as in the number of days there are in a year. Luke tells us that this man who was crippled from birth was set outside the temple gate to beg for money every single day. No matter how much help he may have received, the next day he always needed more. What could Peter have possibly done in that situation that would have made any sort of difference? And finally, maybe Peter would have considered the number two. Luke tells us that Peter was on his way to the temple at the afternoon hour of prayer. Two separate times, each and every day, there was worship that took place at the temple. And so it's not as if Peter was just standing around with nothing better to do, twiddling his thumbs. He had places to go and people to see. And yet, in spite of all of that math, Peter stops. No doubt thousands of other people had just kind of looked the other way and pretended as if that man weren't there, but Peter doesn't just stop. John tells us, or Luke tells us, that he looks directly at the man and insists that the man look directly at him. In Peter's mind, this is not just a problem that he needs to make go away. Instead, he makes this an intensely personal interaction. And then he helps this man, not just by throwing a few dollars at the situation to make himself feel a little bit better. Instead, Peter takes time to assess this man's real need And consider what he has at his disposal in order to meet that need. In that moment, Peter gives his whole self to this man who is sitting there at the entrance to the temple. And Peter does all of this without asking him any questions, without setting any expectations. There are no preconditions. There are no strings attached. So what do you think about Peter's actions in these verses. It sure doesn't seem as though Peter is being very efficient. As I thought about Peter's actions this week, I couldn't help but remember a speech that I heard once upon a time that was given by another man named Peter. Peter Singer 
is an Australian-born philosopher who is now a professor of bioethics at Princeton University. And Peter Singer is an outspoken advocate of what he calls effective altruism. In other words, Peter Singer would say it's not just enough to, to spontaneously help someone out out of the goodness of your heart. Instead, you need to use your head to calculate just how effective that help is actually going to be. So, for example, Peter Singer would say, why spend $40,000 giving one blind person a trained guide dog that can help them out when that same $40,000 could be used to cure hundreds of people of the conditions that cause them to be blind in third world countries. He would say, why spend an hour of your time each week volunteering at a soup kitchen when instead you can work an extra hour each week at your well-paying job and then take the money that you earn during that hour and just donate it to charity to accomplish a great deal more good. The basic assumptions, the basic math of Peter Singer's effective altruism sounds pretty reasonable at first, and yet the reason Peter Singer has made a name for himself is because of the very controversial positions that he takes. He is an outspoken champion, not only of abortion, at any stage of a woman's pregnancy, including all the way up to birth, he's even a proponent of infanticide after a child has been born. And unfortunately, he is no kinder to the ailing and the aging than he is to the young. He's actually gone on record to state that in an ideal world, he would be able to actively euthanize his own mother, who is suffering from advanced Alzheimer's, so that he could take the money that he is currently spending to take care of her and instead use it to provide for people who have conditions that can actually be cured and who have many more years yet to live. Those positions might sound a bit shocking to you, and yet the interesting thing is, really those controversial posi positions are just the logical conclusions of the very simple and basic calculations that sound so very reasonable. And even though you and I might not be very ready to jump to those extreme conclusions, at least I hope not, those very same assumptions and those very same calculations that undergird them often explain the behavior that you and I display as well. I mean, the math is not difficult. The computations are not hard to run. I know how many hours you get in a week. It's 168, the same as I get. You know how many items are on your to-do list each day. You know how many appointments you have coming up this week. You know how much money is sitting in your bank account. You know all of that math. It's not difficult for you to do. And yet, unfortunately, that math is what determines why so often when there's just one person who is in need of time or attention or resources from us, we so easily just give them a teeny tiny fraction of what we have if we give them anything at all. A child needs five minutes of our time to check over their homework or to, to tuck them in at night, but we've got 15 emails that we need to get out before we go to bed. There's a student who has been sitting all by themselves at the cafeteria table for each of the first five days of school. And yet we know that even if we go and sit by them one day and be nice to them and befriend them, they're still going to be sitting by themselves for the remaining 175 days of the year. 
We've had a busy, busy day, 15 hours, 10 hours of work, four different errands that we needed to run, three different kids that we needed to get to different places at different times. And then when we finally get home and we walk out to the end of our driveway to get in the mail, that neighbor across the street whose life is a complete mess and who so often is a, a completely open book is also at the end of their driveway getting their mail in too. It's natural for us to want to do all of that math, and it's not difficult to run the calculations. The problem is that when just one person comes along who needs a little bit from us, it is so very easy to give just that teeny tiny fraction, if anything at all. In fact, do you know my least favorite words in the English language to hear? My kids would probably tell you that maybe those least favorite words are, that's not fair, or it's not mine when I tell them to, to pick something up off of the floor. But actually, there are six words that I dislike even more than those. Pastor, I know you're busy, but... Those words tell me that I have been doing way too much math, that I have been giving the impression that I am oh so important and need to be oh so efficient with my oh so precious time that I don't have any for someone who might need it. So what do we do about this? How do we press reset on our assumptions about efficiency? How do we make sure that our conduct resembles more so Peter, the disciple of Jesus, and not Peter, the professor from Princeton? Well, here's what we need. By the end of these verses from Acts chapter 3, Luke tells us that this man who had been crippled from birth is now up and walking. And not only that, but he's running and jumping through the temple, praising God. And Luke tells us that all of the other people who were there at the temple, remember it was one of the regularly scheduled times for worship, all of them were filled with awe and wonder over what had happened. And then in the verses that follow these, Luke tells us that all of those people gathered around Peter and the other apostles. And Peter suddenly found himself in a situation where he got to deliver another sermon. And because the first one had worked so very well, the second one was almost exactly the same. And then finally, Luke tells us that at the end of that sermon, the number of believers who were there in Jerusalem had grown from 3,000 people to 5,000 families. One man stops what he's doing to help one person, and that's what happens. Now, did Peter know that's what was going to happen as he walked up to the temple that day? I would say not exactly. And yet the Apostle Peter had seen things just like this happen on many occasions before. In fact, what you heard in today's gospel is a perfect example of that. Jesus is surrounded by crowds of people, but he has all the time in the world for just one man. Read through the gospels and you'll find countless examples of how Jesus is willing to go all in on just one person and very often the type of person that everyone else would ignore and dismiss. So often Jesus' actions seem to be a complete and total waste of time. In fact, if you want to talk about waste, how about this? How about a man who shows all kinds of promise and potential, just 33 years old, many, many years still ahead of him, and yet in that prime he is cut down 
He offers his life as a sacrifice. He dies on a cross. What for? For four, five, maybe six followers who were willing to stick with him up to the bitter end. Meanwhile, the rest of them had long since abandoned him, including his disciple named Peter. Peter saw all of that happen. Peter also saw the effects of how Jesus lived. Peter saw Jesus alive again after his death on the cross, risen from the dead on the third day. Peter saw with his own eyes as Jesus ascended up into heaven to sit at the throne of God, to be in a position of control over all things. And Peter saw how on the day of Pentecost, Jesus kept his promise to send the Holy Spirit and the results that the Spirit's work had had. Peter saw all of that. Peter saw a different definition of efficiency. He had seen with his own eyes the Jesus brand of efficiency, which is why Peter stopped not just to help this man, but he stopped to help this man in Jesus' name. Yes, it's natural for us to do the math, but it is necessary that we do the right math. When Jesus is involved, one plus one never equals just two. Peter stops to help out one guy and thousands and thousands of people have the infinite years of their eternities changed once and for all. Now, will Jesus do something like that through something you do? I really don't know the answer to that question. Even with math that is as simple as one plus one, there are all kinds of variables involved, of course. What exactly is the need of the one person who happens to be in front of you in the moment? What exactly do you have at your disposal to be able to help them out? Spoiler alert, I don't think you're going to be able to miraculously cure them of any diseases. Who else might Jesus be involving to also help out this person? And what is the ultimate impact of all of this going to be? We do not know. And yet, even though there are all kinds of variables, even though the equations and the calculations all look a little bit different, the important thing to know is that Jesus is the coefficient. Jesus is the constant multiplying factor that takes even the simplest of things that we do and turns it into so much more. Which means that you and I can take all of those self-aggrandizing, really self-idolizing ideas that only we can solve the world's biggest problems and we can put them to death. We can lay them to rest right here, right now. You are not that important. I am not that important. And thank goodness we are not. Thank goodness that even though Jesus does continue to work through us, and even though he continues to use things like doctors and nurses and hospitals, things like churches and charities, things like political leaders and lawmakers, thank goodness it is still ultimately Jesus himself who makes the deaf hear and who makes the blind see and who makes the lame to leap like deer. Thank goodness it is Jesus himself who has set free everyone who is held captive to sin. Thank goodness that Jesus, seeming waste of an entire life, is the very thing that has delivered you once and for all from death. Thank goodness Jesus has done 
and continues to do all things well. Which means that when it comes to being efficient, you and I don't need to know any sort of fancy math. We don't need to know our multiplication tables. We don't need to know how to borrow or carry a number from one column to the other. We don't need to know how exponents work. We can keep it as simple as one plus one. Who is the one real person with real need that right here and right now Jesus has put in front of me? And what has Jesus given to me that I might give whatever I have in the moment to give to meet what that need requires? What is Jesus going to turn that one plus one into? How is Jesus going to take it from there? I'm not sure. But I do know this. He has given us more than enough proof to know that whatever he does, he will do it very well. Amen.